0: You are tuned to CICK News on 93.9 FM in Smithers. CICK News is your news source for regional and provincial news Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 a.m., 2 p.m., and 4 p.m. It's hosted by Dan Messick and myself, Pamela Hassan. Find and follow CICK News online at smithersradio.com and frequencynews.ca or wherever you get your podcasts. CICK News is funded by the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the Government of Canada. Housing is about more than just four walls and a roof. It's about having a place to call home. Having a home is essential to our health and well being. It also allows individuals and families to thrive, children to learn and grow, and provides stability and opportunities to succeed. The Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation released their annual report on Canada's housing and rental markets in 2023 last week. A brief summary of the report is as follows. Housing costs became a significant challenge for many Canadians in 2023. High inflation was a major issue, peaking at 8.1% in June of 2022. Average hourly earnings and core inflation measures remained elevated. Higher interest rates, a result of inflation, affected housing demand and impacted households with higher debt. The persistent problem of low housing supply was still a concern in 2023. Housing starts remained high, despite expectations of a decrease due to factors like low unemployment, high material costs, and higher interest rates. Single-family homes started decreasing, but multiple-family starts, particularly in Toronto and Vancouver, remained strong. Housing became a top public issue in 2023, with concerns about housing affordability and debt. Policy changes were initiated to address these concerns. There's still a need for more work to be done to improve housing supply and affordability. Some unexpected surprises included the resilience of housing starts, especially in major centres like Toronto and Vancouver. CMHC's ground-level insights and analysis provided a much more nuanced understanding of the housing trends, and you're encouraged to check out the full report at cmhc-schl.gc.ca. The following is an interview with the Minister of Housing in BC, Ravi Callan, about the state of housing for remote communities, and how the Ministry can provide policies and incentives for the wide-ranging communities in our province. This interview is part of a larger conversation about the most recent BC Housing development for Smithers, a 40-unit building with support services on Alfred Avenue. To this end, BC Housing has submitted a rezoning application to the town of Smithers. And also on today's news is Dan's follow-up from last night's community dialogue session about this proposal. Here's my interview with the Minister of Housing of BC, Ravi Kallon.
1: My name is Ravi Kallon, R A V I A H L O N. I'm BC's Minister of Housing.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Minister. We are talking about housing in BC, and I am calling from Smithers, BC, which is a remote northern community in the province, and kind of just wanted to get a little bit of the scope, you being the Minister of Housing, to get a bit of the scope of what your office does and how you're able to create policies that represent, you know, large cities in the province as well as small towns. Well,
1: first off, thanks, Pamela. And and I know Smithers well. My friend Nathan Cullen reminds me, tells me about Smithers often. And and no doubt the challenges when it comes to housing is it's real, whether you're in a, a big city or you're in a small village. Everyone is feeling the impacts of uh, the challenges around not enough housing in our communities. And uh, what our ministry of BC, the Ministry of Housing does, is we work with our partner, which is uh, BC Housing, to not only uh, invest in affordable housing directly in communities, but also reform of policies uh, from a provincial level to unlock more types of housing in communities. So it's, it's a mixed role. And mm-hmm. and of course, an important
0: one given that we're dealing with some serious challenges. So what does affordable housing look like for smaller, more remote communities such as Smithers, Houston, or Telqua? And can you cite an example of similarly sized communities who have addressed the need for housing positively?
1: Many of the solutions and and the unique challenges are highlighted by partners in communities. And so that's that's a key piece. We have seen some local governments in smaller communities say, you know what, we prefer to have modular type of housing because it can be brought in, uh, it can it can be positioned to wherever it needs to be, and it can be done in a quicker way. So we, we try to be as flexible between BC Housing and our ministry to the unique needs in uh, in each community. But one thing that is the same everywhere is that there's a desperate need for governments to invest in affordable housing. For two decades, there was a belief that governments shouldn't invest in, in affordable housing, that that the private market will somehow just solve itself and it'll solve the problem. But what we're dealing with now is the implications of governments not investing. And, and we, since we formed government in 2017, have made historic levels of investments to try to catch up. I know in uh, Smithers, there's around 96 homes that are either uh, complete or in, in the process right now. You know, uh, Houston's got 16. Kinemat's got 44 homes. Hazelton had 31, and uh, and then some of the smaller communities. There's a, a greater need for uh, housing both on and off reserve for Indigenous communities. And BC is the only province in the country that invests in Indigenous housing on reserve. Uh, and so uh, we are now not only partnering with local governments, but we're partnering with First Nations governments as well to get housing on on reserve.
0: I guess it would come down to relying on representatives of a municipality to share and inform your office as to the unique challenges as well.
1: Yeah, in our call, our intakes for our housing are are done in a very public way. In fact, one of the things that we instituted a couple of years ago was funding based on region as opposed to an open call across the province. Uh Because we had seen early on that the projects that were in bigger cities ended up taking more, I guess, space, uh, given that they had uh, not-for-profits that perhaps had uh, deeper uh, pockets as far as uh, donors, uh, and also uh, maybe more sophistication as far as their development of planning teams. And so we have now uh, actually changed that process and uh, allocated in, in a rough term what we would like to have for each region so that we've the entire province gets their fair share of housing.
0: Yeah, you know, and I've seen um, similar approaches by other ministries, such as the uh, Ministry of um, Poverty Reduction, mm-hmm. addressing that the North will have very different challenges from Vancouver, Victoria, Kelowna, and so it's it really does seem that regional shift to the approach. I think also maybe relaxes that 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 gap that remote and northern places would probably. in comparison to applying for the same funding as a place in Vancouver who would have just sheer numbers against us.
1: Yeah, and and quite frankly, some of the bigger cities can learn from smaller communities because a lot of the innovative solutions that are coming across the province are actually coming from smaller communities such as um, partnering to have housing and childcare built together in one project in one location because some smaller communities are saying, if we're gonna get trades and we have to make this contract big enough to uh, to entice um, uh, some builders to come into town. And so they they take multiple pockets of money and projects and cut, put them together. And what it leads to is actually uh, uh, a better project. Uh, one that actually leads to healthier communities because we know housing and childcare, for example, uh, go naturally hand in hand. Mm-hmm. But if you add healthcare service, uh, to that, it just makes uh, a lot more sense.
0: Speaking about uh, addressing concerns regionally, you know, what actions are in place for remote communities working with BC Housing to address homelessness or uh, affordable housing specifically?
1: Well, it, it, the the challenges uh, in each community are unique, but uh, in some ways, uh, they're similar. Uh, I think the biggest challenge we often have is uh, is getting to, yes, for this type of housing. Uh, we know that uh, it doesn't matter if you're in Smithers or if you're in the District of North Vancouver or in Vancouver itself, you know, often everyone understands that this type of housing is needed. We have people who are vulnerable, people who are perhaps in an encampment that need to get indoors. And so everyone understands that housing is needed, but yet nobody wants to have the housing next door to them. And so as a society, as communities, we need to come together and find ways to get to yes, find ways to get that housing built. And so uh, I know that the council uh, right now is considering supportive housing site uh, in Smithers. I certainly hope that the community comes around and works together to support council to make a decision so that we can get some additional units in Smithers to help some of the more vulnerable people in our community.
0: Uh, maybe you can't compare the needs of a community, but something such as Being able to actually house the people who are living in the encampment because the numbers are, the numbers are actually doable. That that should that should be our number one concern. Now, but building housing that is genuinely affordable to low to middle income households, it it doesn't seem profitable for developers, even with upzoning measures or incentives for for profit developers to sell rental properties. It just feels like we're still not prioritizing maybe affordable housing. So, can you tell me how the Homes for People plan takes step to support nonprofit developers?
1: We are not going to solve the housing crisis by the private sector alone, and it's just not going to happen. We need the private sector to 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 build housing, uh, and they can meet the needs for a certain segment of our population. But until we dramatically grow our non market housing pool. we are not going to be able to address the challenges we have and and that this is the biggest i guess space where we're behind as a as a province as a country where we had for 20 years just a lack of investment in in this type of housing and and so not only right now are we investing in in housing through our community housing fund through our indigenous housing fund to build non-market housing um but what we're also doing is we've launched the rental protection fund which is half a billion dollars. Uh, It's it's a newest society that's been formed between the Aboriginal Management Housing Association, the BC Co-op Association, the BC Not-for-Profit Association. And they are actively buying all their rental buildings that are going on the market so we can both protect the renters, but also ensure that those units stay in the non-market space. We know over time that they remain more affordable than the private uh, market. So we're taking some some big steps uh, to get in that space. We're also now going to be, and very soon, announcing BC Bill. Uh, it's a it's the provincial government taking a step where, quite frankly, we haven't seen across the country where we uh, invest to build housing for middle income earners. We know right now with a global inflation, with high interest rates, with all the challenges we're seeing around shortage of labor, that the, the the market can't produce housing at, at low enough costs for our people. And so we're going to be launching this new initiative using government lands, using government finance in, in the coming weeks. And I'm, I'm super excited about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, you took the next question right out of my mouth regarding what the BC Builds program is. So I appreciate that. I guess just one thing, just I wanted to go back to the Homes for People plan. Uh, that was released in 2018. How have the last six years reflected the goals of the supportive units and 200, and, uh, and complex care units? As far as actual numbers go, where are we in those units?
1: Yeah, we've made some significant progress. I mean, 77,000 units so far out of the 114,000 that we had committed to have come online. And, and so that's a significant step towards where we need to go. But, you know, from six years to now, the numbers that we have ahead of us are dramatically higher. Uh, CMAC released a report the, uh, two days ago, yep. highlighting that not only are we seeing record numbers of housing being built in BC, uh, this year I believe we had 19,000 purpose-built rentals being built, but the uh, increase in population that we're seeing is dramatically outpacing even that uh, growth in, in housing units. So we have to redouble our efforts and, and, and that is reflected in our Homes for People strategy which was taking the, the I would say, the best pieces that we had from uh, and the most success we had from our initial plan and quite frankly, putting it on steroids. We have part of the, the Help for People strategy, not only initiatives to uh, invest in more non-market housing in co-op housing, but uh, also stepping into the space of building housing for middle-income earners, but also actions like taking on short-term rentals. We're losing more and more housing stock to short-term rentals dramatically every year. And, and that was making it harder for people. So all these initiatives together, I believe puts BC in a better place to address the challenges we have head on.
0: Yeah. I did have one question. It's a little, it's a little more personal, but you're the Minister of Housing for the province. Why is it so important to you? And, and why is this your purpose?
1: Well, the, one of the first tasks I was asked to do when I first got elected as a new uh, MLA, was to work on bringing back a human human rights commission to British Columbia. And in that work, I traveled the province and and heard from people and everywhere I went, housing, 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 come every single place. And, uh, you know, in my role, I like to be very active in my role. I like to go meet people in their place. I I visit people that are encampments. I visit people that are living in SROs in downtown Eastside. And, and it's quite frankly heartbreaking to have people who are working full-time jobs, sleeping in tents because they can't find something in their community to afford. And so it is deeply personal for me. I know it's deeply personal for Premier Eby, who started as a lawyer working in the downside, downtown east side on housing issues. So, you know, it's personal. And I think it's, it's top of mind for everyone. And it's a generational question. We have an entire generation right now growing up knowing that they'll be the first generation not as well off as the generation before. And so things need to change. We need to think of housing differently. We need to invest in it differently. And and that's my goal in the first year. And that will be my goal as long as the premier
0: has me here. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I really do appreciate it.
1: Yeah, anytime and look forward to chatting again. Thank you. That was Pam Hasson speaking with B.C.
3: Minister of Housing Ravi Kalan. Housing has been a long-standing issue in many communities, especially for those of us in the North. At last night's B.C. Housing Community Information Session, some residents expressed support for the proposed 40-unit supportive housing facility behind Town Hall and next to Goodacre Place, while others, including adjacent property owners, expressed some concerns. Although this is at least the third iteration of such a proposal in the past year, and it would be at least another two years before any beds were available, it looks like this BC Housing proposal is on track to be developed if the rezoning application is approved by Town Council at the end of February. Although it is still early days in the planning process, there are still mixed feelings about the proposed site and the neighbourhood for this new supportive housing development.
4: round out the evening.
3: BC Housing's um, Kirsten in Bailey. Terms
4: of where we are at, in terms of process, uh, you may have heard we've gone to, I think it's first and second reading, right, Mark? Um, for the development that's happening in January. We did a virtual open house in February. So that's where we met and chatted online. This is our in-person open house. Clearly, we're here at the moment. Um, we are hoping to get a uh, public hearing and third reading tomorrow. Um, and then, it, not tomorrow? No. Mark, help me. When? 13. 13th. 13th. Okay. I'm still in. case okay. February 13th. I'm sorry, days blend together. So, February 13th, we're hoping for that. And then, if it passes, um, we would move into adoption. That would enable BC Housing to close on the purchase and sale agreement and purchase the properties. And then in terms of the timing that BC Housing would be following, we would need to procure a design team and an architect and things like that. We would be working with stakeholders to to help shape those designs. We would need to go back to City Council for a development (coughs) permit and then ultimately a building permit. I'm gonna guess that design phase is at least a year out, um, and then construction is at least a year. So we're looking at a project coming on stream in two to three years, in terms of following the design timeline.
3: At Smithers Council meeting next week, February 13th, there will be a public hearing held to hear from the community about what they think of this proposal. Some property owners that live adjacent to the proposed site feel that this will just be another Band-Aid solution.
5: Yeah, so my name is Jason. I live across the street from where they're proposing to uh, build this home. I guess- this is 40-unit 40, 40
3: development. Yeah. And what are some of your major concerns living right across the street?
5: Well, I look at sort of the bigger picture, um, where our society is heading and why. Um, I don't like to see homeless people by any means, but is this going to fix the problem? Or is it a band-aid? That's sort of uh, where I stand.
3: Yeah. There's a, a similar supportive housing unit that's I guess would be on just adjacent or behind the property where they're looking at building this one. Yeah, the Good Acre, um, one, yeah. Yeah, the good acre Place. And it sounds like, it, you know, it's it obviously worked for some, but we had a homelessness issue before then, and we might have a homelessness issue after. So what are some of the things that you'd like to talk about? You know, if you do have some of these concerns, what would, what do you think could be done to kind of see or remedy this situation because it seems to be persisting. You know,
5: this isn't going to amount to much, but I know it's true. When you give somebody that's capable of working housing and food, you're actually taking away their freedom because they don't have to earn it. Where's their self-worth?
3: This is uh, like an information session, but there's a public hearing coming up. Uh, Have you brought some of these concerns to town? where would you like to
5: see them go with this? Like I said, I'm actually neutral on, on the actual development of this, this 40 unit rigging. Um, it's not the only one. There's, there's more on the other side of the highway that have been built and that are gonna be built, probably. You know, I would love to see, like I said, less homeless people. And, uh, you know, some people are unemployable. They're elderly. They're handicapped, and by all means, like to 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 supply supportive like supportive uh, housing for those people is a wonderful thing. But how many people are taking advantage of this is my question. And then to conclude, like you know, the safety of our streets, you know, the overall feel of downtown Smithers, what's what's going on with that, um, and uh, how many. people who use drugs it's a tragedy they're they're down and out and it's a huge cost to society uh, you know providing all the medical support that they need and all the rest of it so what's what's causing all this is uh, it's a complex issue yeah no doubt it's a societal issue it's it's a family issue going back generations yeah ultimately thanks Jason all right Dan
3: take care
2: My name is Bronwyn Young and I'm here tonight representing the situation table.
3: And Bronwyn, tell me a little about your involvement with this uh, project here and um, looking to build a supportive housing unit, um, another one here in Smithers.
2: So we were invited here tonight so that we may share some of the data that we see at our table coming forward. We're not here to um, promote any certain position, uh, pro or against, but simply to help with the bigger story of what's happening in the community and what we're seeing coming to our table. Yeah.
3: That's great. Um, clearly you have a lot of data, um, and, and it was in the package, so maybe you could explain some of it. What, what kind of information are we looking at here in relation to the data collected at other supportive housing builds across the province?
2: Sure, so the Situation Table is, is a unique kind of initiative that's been rolled out throughout towns in British Columbia. Um, But here we have specific data that we've gathered for our Smithers community and what you have in front of you is a representation in data of what the most common risk factors are for the folks who are at that acutely elevated risk who come uh, presented at the table. And you can see that the lack of appropriate housing, alcohol abuse or misuse, and substance misuse or abuse are the three most common risk factors that somebody presents with, though there are many more that also come on board often. Um, The top originating agencies, so the people who bring forward these individuals to say we need to wrap around support um, police, Goodacre Place and the Friendship Centre. Now, a main part of the role of the Situation Table is to take away some of the <laughs> non-criminal um, behaviours that police are being called to. So when it's not a criminal matter, it's better served by service providers in the community. And so you can see that the top organized, uh, sorry, the top originating agency is the police, but the top lead agency who takes on the the collaboration piece um, and helps to disseminate that support is Goodacre Place, followed by the Friendship Centre and the Mental Health Outreach Team.
3: Now one of the things that stands out here is that, you know, aside from alcohol abuse, substance abuse, the most common risk factor is being unhoused. So. What happens when someone who may be in these other categories, what happens when they do get housed?
2: Their level of safety and support is greatly increased. Their ability to have an off day and be able to be in a warm, safe space where they can experience that with support is something that they have access to. When you don't have a home to live in, you have nothing that's permanent you have nothing that um, is there to catch you. And so it's very easy to, to feel left behind.
3: Um, you clearly, uh, there's clearly been a couple of these initiatives you've been a part of. Um, we have Good Acre Place, that's already a supportive housing. We also have, and I know you were involved with the um, development at uh, for NSDP, Um, uh, housing uh, uh, women fleeing from domestic violence. Uh, What do you see happening here? What do you hope happens if this project does go ahead and what would that mean for the community?
2: I hope that it would be an integrated approach to look at the different facets of where people are at when they're on the housing continuum and what they're ready for. I hope that it would be a collaborative, supportive action between community members
3: listening to CICK News. If you have any hot tips or news stories you think we should cover, contact us at CICK News at smithersradio.com or follow us on Facebook at CICK News. CICK News is made possible by the Government of Canada and the Community Radio Fund of Canada, the only organization mandated to financially supporting campus and community radio stations across Canada. You can also catch our fresh shows each week at theskina.com, or subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks to our producer, Pam Hassan, and all of our roving reporters. I'm Dan Messick. Thanks for listening.